Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. This episode is sponsored by my new Facebook group, Trauma Warriors. I would like to acknowledge traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Maya Benatar. And we are going to be talking about how music can help us heal and grow. Maya is a music therapist and psychotherapist in private practice in Midtown Manhattan and online throughout New York State. Her specialities include anxiety, developmental and intergenerational trauma and highly sensitive people. In addition to her clinical work, Maya offers supervision and consultation for other therapists, provides professional development and wellness workshops and offers restorative workshops for helpers and healers. Maya received her master's degree from New York University and has completed extensive postgraduate training in vocal psychotherapy, creative arts therapies in trauma treatment, and music and imagery. Welcome, Maya. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for having me. So would you just share with our audience a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this work? Sure. I'm a music therapist and psychotherapist and music has always been super meaningful to me. And I wanted to do, I guess the short answer is that I wanted to do something with music for my work and I didn't really want to perform and I didn't necessarily want to teach. And my mother is a social worker. So definitely the helping professions were super familiar to me. And my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was a Holocaust survivor and a cantor. And so I saw the power of music for him firsthand, particularly as he, by the end of his life, developed dementia, but was always still singing and relating through song. And so best I can remember, I was doing an AOL search about just different professions and stumbled upon music therapy. And that was that was pretty much that. Okay, so when you came into your psychotherapy training, you already knew that you wanted to go down the music therapy route. Is that what you're saying? So my undergraduate degree is also in music therapy. Um, Ah, Yeah. So my undergraduate is in music therapy, which with the way the system is set up in the States for music therapists allowed me to become a board certified music therapist, which requires Mm -hmm. a degree. I believe it's uh, it's been many years, 1500 hours internship, something like that. And then passing a national board exam. And then after I did that, then I went to grad school for music therapy, which was a psychotherapy program focusing on music psychotherapy. And so my classmates, some of whom had undergraduate degree in music therapy as well, and some of whom came from performance, came from psychology, came from business backgrounds, and we all just kind of ended up in this big group, this cohort together. And so that's where I really developed my skills as a psychotherapist and really got into a lot more of the theory and the training in that direction. My undergrad degree was more CBT focused. That program was quite CBT focused at Mm -hmm. the time. So it was a good foundation, I always say, but I've been a psychotherapist for a little over a decade at this point. Okay. I I mean, I'm sure most of the world knows what CBT is, but we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy there for (laughs) 
right. Um, who's listening? So tell us, what actually is music therapy? And I know even in my asking of your question, we had a back and forward about something. So I, I'm not actually clear what a music therapist actually does or what happens in a music therapy session. So I can't wait to hear all about it. But what is it actually? Totally. So music therapy, the sort of umbrella definition is the use of music to achieve non-musical goals. So that can be anything from social goals, emotional, physical, spiritual goals. That's pretty much the clinical use of music to address non-musical areas. And the thing is, is that it's such a broad definition because music therapists really work cradle to grave. And actually, there are a lot of music therapists now who do perinatal Mm. work. So work with moms who are pregnant, um, wanting to become pregnant, literally in the birthing rooms, and um, which is really cool. And then music therapists who work in hospice with people who are in the process of dying and sometimes who are actively dying. And then everywhere in between. So music therapists work with kids with special needs, in prisons, in psych hospitals, really anywhere you can think of where there's a need to to feel more connected, to work on self-expression, self-regulation, all of that stuff. So it's a pretty broad field. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you were talking about your training in that first degree, are you saying that people come and do a music therapy degree and they're not necessarily psychotherapists they're, um, and, and that maybe they're not even using it for therapy? They could be using it for other things or is it? Uh, no, they're using it for therapy, but oh, they're they not are. master's level therapists. I so see, it's, I see. Nothing is simple Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with this kind of stuff. Totally. They can become MTBC. That's the MTBC in my credentials. So they are board certified music therapists, but unless they have a master's degree, they're generally not psychotherapists and then the lcat in my credentials it stands for licensed creative arts therapist so that okay. is a psychotherapy license in new york state where i'm located yeah so in order to get that i had to have a master's degree and then i think it was three thousand supervised hours that sounds okay. right um and you know the state pay the state a lot of money and all that jazz yeah so there's like i guess you can call it like sort of levels of practice for lack of a better word okay i see i see and if we come back to actually using music therapy as a therapist what types of music would you use in music therapy and do you bring i mean we're going to talk more about the session later but yeah just what what sort of music i mean is it oh it totally depends i wish i had a A quick answer for that. It would be very different music for, so I used to work with kids with special needs, a lot of like kids on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so the music that I would use with them would be very different from music that I use now in my work as a psychotherapist who works primarily with women with anxiety and trauma histories. So it really ranges sometimes. And sometimes it's music that's pre-composed, we'll call it in the music therapy world, like music that already exists, whether that's recorded or recreating that on an instrument, or sometimes a lot of times it's improvised music. So music that's created in the moment for a specific purpose, whether it's to get in touch with the feeling or to connect with the client. It really depends on the goals. I think I'm, I'm trying to speak like super globally now because the field is so diverse. Yeah. But the short answer, I guess, is that it can be any kind of music. I personally really don't ascribe to this kind of music has this kind of effect because we yeah. are so also individual and we differ day to day, week to week. So what feels calming for me, you know, on a Monday may absolutely not be what feels calming for me on a Friday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I know on your website, when I was doing some research, I really loved this question because I imagine if someone lands at your website, I mean, my first thing would be, oh, but I'm not very musical or Mm. I don't know how to play instruments or I know I like music, but do people have to be musical to go to music therapy? That's a great question. The answer is absolutely not at all. 
So there's no need to be musical, to be able to, to sing or to play an instrument. I have some clients who are musical and a great number of whom who exactly like what you just said, they love music, they listen to music a lot, but they don't consider themselves musicians. And all of that works. It's all totally fine and welcome. I've yet to meet a person in my work who doesn't have a response to music in some way. Doesn't always necessarily mean that it's positive, but even a quote unquote negative response is still a response. Mm. <laughs> Depends on the goals, right? So yeah, you don't need to play an instrument. Sometimes I will improvise with clients when I'm not working virtually as I'm still doing because of COVID. My office is full of instruments and so I might invite a client to improvise. And so the act of playing something when you don't know when it's open like that can be challenging for some people, but also really illuminating to be able to do something quote unquote wrong, have it be messy to have it be creative can really tap into a lot of important areas for a lot of my clients. That really makes sense. And uh, it's really interesting because my father is actually a musician, but I was always told as a child that I couldn't sing and that I wasn't very musical. Mm. And when I was looking at your website, I could really feel this sense of like longing in a way, you know, because mm -hmm. I always wanted to be able to sing and I wanted to be able to play an instrument, but he was so impatient that I would never mm. have been able to have learned off him anyway, really. Right, but, um, right. <laughs> he said, I'm a good guitar player, but I'm not a very good teacher. And I thought, you're not wrong there. <laughs> it's, it's just really challenging often to, to learn music from one's parents. I had a similar experience. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, and I love that you've got that on your website because I think if someone finds finds themselves there and they've maybe had experiences like I've had and so many people have had. I know from being in high school and having, you know, I was quite a naughty sort of teenager. So in the sort of arts, I used to get into trouble all the time. And I think a lot of people have had negative experiences with creative therapies back in their history somewhere. And it's, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just think, you know, when I arrived there and I saw that you didn't have to be musical, I really love that you said that. Yeah. I so totally believe that. I think it's so, you know, I was initially, I'm a vocalist by training and I was initially um, classically trained, actually mostly classically trained, which is very black and white. Like you either sing your Italian aria correctly or you don't, right? Mm -hmm. Like you make the note or you miss the note. So when I went to NYU for grad school and that's like I was saying, a very improvisatory psychotherapy based program and this idea of improvising was really really overwhelming, honestly, and threatening to me. But through the process of learning how to do it myself and learning what that was kicking up for me, because it kicked up a whole lot of stuff, right? Mm. Around doing it wrong, around like not being good enough. And and actually, that's the stuff that, that I generally speaking want to work with, with my clients, right? Mm. The not that I force them out of their comfort zone because that would be a terrible therapy experience, but to have those moments of what happens if, if we just create in the moment, right? If I'm, I do this a lot virtually where I'll play an instrument and I'm improvising, mm. we have a theme in mind, I'm improvising and I'm inviting them to either move or to create an image on a page. And we're both just making it up in the moment. And I think the modeling of like, I'm doing this too. And I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to play <laughs> um, is really freeing, is really invigorating and just taps into a little bit of that like you know that perhaps a, an experience as a child before all the rules and all the expectations kind of got really settled and cemented in yeah and to be able to connect with that part of themselves that you know where the anxiety can take a little bit of a back seat the black and white thinking can take a little bit of a back seat even just for a moment because we can build on that absolutely 
And so I guess this leads us into why would someone, and you've already started to talk about a, a few sort of symptoms and issues that people come with and different age ranges, but why would they, they've decided to, okay, so just say for instance, you know, I work with people with eating disorders. I've got this eating disorder. Why would I come to music therapy with whatever it is that I'm suffering with? What I was saying about music, we generally all have a response to it and it connects us to our bodies. And so a lot of my clients, okay. eating disorders may not be their, the primary reason they're coming in, but there's usually some sort of relationship with food or their bodies that's like in and around the anxiety and the trauma histories. Yeah. And so music is a way to connect to their bodies, which may be really difficult, right? So it's not about, you know, we're going to improvise for a half an hour now, like that, that helps no one. But like, what happens when you hear this song that you love? Where do you notice, do you notice sensation anywhere in your body? Do you notice mm. emotion? Where is it located? Is it okay to feel that? Is it okay for me to be touched by your music? And for me to say, oh, I feel that in my chest. Like the body just naturally comes in the way that I work. The body just naturally comes into the work because I don't, feel like I can sit and be like a blank slate sort of therapist and be affected by music and be affected by my clients. You know, you work with trauma too, and we know that trauma is held in the body. So I guess what I'm wondering is why would someone choose music therapy over just straight, Mm -hmm. say, psychotherapy? So a lot of times, I mean, I've had clients who have been in um, like quote unquote traditional talk therapy and either they found it useful, but up to a point, Mm -hmm. like it got them, it it got them to a certain point. They learned some coping skills, but they felt like kind of hit a wall a little bit. A lot of times that it didn't help me connect to my body. Yeah. So that's a lot of, a lot of times I've had people come in and say like, I was just really curious about this. Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients coming in have said like music is such I guess they don't use the word resource. That's really the word that I would use. Yeah. But they say music is such a joy for me, right? It, it mm-hmm. makes me happy. It holds me when I'm sad. It, and I'm so curious and excited about how it can be part of my, my therapy process. And it's that excitement that's really exciting to me, right? Because to come into a therapy experience and already be excited and curious, even if there's a little bit of nerves, is is different. So that's really the two main reasons I'd, I'd mm. say off the top of my head that they want to, music really means something to them and they want to incorporate it and yep. or they've been in, I work with a lot of people who've never been in therapy, but also a fair number of people who've been in therapy and it just, it was helpful, but to a point. Yeah, I mean, I found yeah. that myself. I mean, I am a I'm a talk therapist, but I've been you know incorporated over the years somatic sort of mm-hmm. psychotherapy and stuff as well. But I found when I you know when I was working in London, I'd had my own therapy. I actually started moving into Gabrielle Roth five rhythms, so doing movement mm. therapy yeah. in conjunction with talk therapy. So this sounds sort of similar to me in terms of getting to a point and then wanting something different or more. Yeah, I love that the different or more. Yeah, a lot of my clients will describe that they're really good at thinking and that that's both helpful usually mm-hmm. for their work, that that's really helpful, but not so helpful in their personal lives and probably not so helpful in some aspects of their work as well. <laughs> like the relational aspects of, you know, working with others and being impacted by them. But yeah. so a lot of my clients find that they're running the, the same thoughts, the same patterns, the same responses, 
And it's all this cognitive process. So part of what I do is to invite them to notice, like, is there a response that's happening in your body, right? Like, and sometimes there isn't, right? Sometimes actually just coming back down into the body is such a process for some people for any number of reasons. A lot mm. of times trauma, but a lot of times, you know, anxiety as well. And so just being able to feel their feelings in their body without getting overwhelmed by them, without the kind of black and white thinking of this is a good feeling, this is a bad feeling. And a lot of my clients had a lot of explicit or implicit framing around, you know, in our family, we don't feel or express anger or we don't feel or express sadness. And so mm -hmm. just being able to have a space where that's okay. I do a lot of work with the window of tolerance. I'm blanking on whose work that was originally. Uh, yeah. Daniel, uh, uh, Dan Siegel, I want to say. Uh, well, yeah, um, it's in one of my earlier episodes with uh, yeah. embodied recovery. So if you yeah. want to hear more about it, go back to that Perfect. episode. Yep. Yeah. And we can do this with music. Like when you feel in your window of tolerance, when you feel calm enough, but alert enough, what does that feel like? Does it have a sound? Does it have a color? What's the energy in your body? And then sort of learning the edges outside of the window. And so having that be a creative experience can be really neat as well. Mm. Yeah. And I think you're starting to talk about this. So how can it help us improve our emotional health, mental health, psychological health, and help us to heal and grow? Music in general? Well, that's one thing I was going to ask you. Yes. Music in general and music therapy. <laughs> yes. I feel like that's two separate questions. So, okay. I mean, and they're both quite large. So let me think. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you answer that however you want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I think the the beautiful thing about both music and music therapy is the access and the space for lots of different kinds of emotions. I think we live generally in a world where a lot of emotions get either maligned or like, you know, judged or just shoved aside and ignored. So the beautiful thing about both about music itself and music therapy is that there's a space for all of that. There's a space mm -hmm. to feel sadness and to give it a sound, to give it a voice. I was trained uh, post-grad training to your training in vocal psychotherapy with Diane Austin, who's travels. Well, she used to travel. <laughs> she has written a book about vocal psychotherapy and just these really fascinating ways of working with the voice, right? Which is our primary way of communicating. So being able to have a voice for the feelings that we don't have a chance to express or we don't know how to express or we're not even aware of can be really, really powerful. And I think a lot of times people will gravitate towards music that does that for them, but maybe don't think about it in that way. I'll give an example if that's helpful. Yeah. I grew up in a family where anger wasn't really something that was encouraged, mm -hmm. I'll say. And one of my favorite albums when I was... 11, 12 was Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is a great album. And I was listening to it a couple years ago, actually on the way home from a vocal psychotherapy group meeting. And I was, you know, driving up the West Side Highway, blasting this. And I'm like, wow, A, I still know every word. And it's been, you know, almost 20 years. And B, these songs let me be angry at a time in my life where I probably needed to feel that, but there wasn't really a space for it. Oh, and yeah. so it gave me that really important outlet. And of course, as a, I think that came out in 95, so I was like 11, 12. I wouldn't have had the words to put that together, but I'm going to say that like some part of me knew that I needed this, that being able to feel anger in a healthy, productive way is a really important part of adolescence, right? Mm. And so some part of me knew that this was really important. 
Oh, yeah. I was a um, massive, massive, massive Culture Club Boy George fan in my mm, teenage mm-hmm. years. And mm-hmm. I think just saying that I'm thinking back to even when I listened to, you know, he's been a judge on the X Factor over here recently. And so my mm-hmm. kids are starting to watch him and learn about him. And I said, oh, well, here's the album. I put it on the car and just, oh, my God, it just took me back to <laughs> right? being like yeah. 13. And my mom actually uh, went, I think she went, uh, either slept out or went like at four o'clock in the morning to queue up to get, because there was oh no internet gosh, yeah. back then. Right, right. Queue up and get <laughs> tickets for me. And he was different. And I was growing up, I grew up on the northern mm. beaches where everyone's, there's a certain look and vibe out here and mm-hmm. I just wasn't it. <laughs> and just having that outlet to that individuality and to be different and and the pain totally. in a lot of the music, it can really transport you there, can't it? Totally. It's so powerful and it's so important. So I think that's something that music therapy or not, that all of us can tap into in different ways for ourselves, right? The feelings that that we didn't get space for at certain times in our lives or the feelings that need space now. And when you said vocal, yeah, and it's something I hadn't thought about because actually before we started this interview, I was on a one track sort of thing about just listening to music. But as we're talking, mm-hmm. think, oh, my mm-hmm. God, there's so many areas to explore. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so when you say vocal as well, is that people using their, you know, I know over the years when you talked about anger and lots of women working with trauma and with disordered eating, there's often a lot of repressed anger. Do sure. you help yep. people use their voice to express anger in different ways? And like that yeah, or definitely yeah. Yeah. yeah so vocal psychotherapy is not the only way that I work with the voice but it's it's a it's it's a model right it's this whole model that Diane Austin has has developed and I can speak to it a little bit outside of that yes like the ways that people use or don't use their voice mm. is something that I just hold a lot of awareness of and that I'll that I'll be curious about with clients and just not even from a singing standpoint but in this story that you're telling me where was your voice or like mm. I don't hear your voice or if they start speaking like as someone else you know, like doing their mom's voice or something like that, like kind of, oh, what happened to you? It's it's somewhat of, or really all, like parts work, right? Like yeah, where is yeah, your voice? Yeah. Where is your part in this story? Mm-hmm. Vocal psychotherapy is very connected though to Jungian theory and a lot of theories about this early attachment. And so a lot of a lot of the wounding that happens pre-verbally, right? And so our voice is one of the primary ways, if not the primary way that we connect when we're quite young, right? As infants, right? Being mirrored, being heard, being seen, making a face with a sound, and then, you know, a caregiver does it back to you. And so people who haven't had that experience, usually that ripples forward into not being seen, heard, felt much beyond infancy, but it starts quite young, right? And again, like we were saying before, it's totally, it's really, it's stored in the body. That memory and it's they often can't put words to it of just not being attuned to in that way so vocal psychotherapy sometimes is with words or but oftentimes without words where it's just vocal holding and with a client i will choose two different uh, chords usually on the piano and the idea is that these chords which we go i go back and forth between are very holding so they're very predictable kind of like and of course no one can see my hands but i'm like rocking them back and forth right now like a lullaby right mm. the, so in that predictable container we just go from one chord to another or one then we'll we'll begin to do and i do this with the client it's not just them them doing it by themselves mm. but to have a reparative experience of my voice as in me as someone who's really attuned to them who's really listening who even if they make the smallest sound I might mirror it 
I might do it an octave down, which might feel grounding. I might do it an octave up. I might make it longer or louder, right? Like all these different ways to play with the voice and to invite and encourage. Mm. Later on in the vocal psychotherapy process, one can do free associative singing, which is pretty much what it sounds like, where you're just, again, with the two chords, but we might be working with something that's a bit more like texture or friction. So like maybe working with like some sort of anger, like you were saying. Mm. And so the chords that are chosen can have some kind of friction or heaviness to them, right? So rather than like, for those listening who who have a bit of a musical background rather than like two major chords which are kind of bright and happy and sunny Mm -hmm. like you are my sunshine or something Mm -hmm. like that these might be a little more minory or have some suspensions like jazz music right with a little more tension in there yeah and then i can invite clients i do invite clients to sing let's say it's anger just for an example Mm -hmm. do they want to sing about the anger as the anger or to the anger. Mm. And so there are ways to go deeper and deeper, right? And so, and one can go back and forth, right? If something's starting to feel too much, you can kind of pull back a layer. And I support them in that. So I might repeat a line that feels really important to me. If something comes up within myself of like, oh, this is making me think of this word, or I've had an image pop into my mind, I might offer that as well. And I always tell them, you can repeat it if it resonates. If not, just let it float away, which Mm. is the lovely thing about music, right? It's here and then it's gone. Yeah, amazing. And you mentioned parts work there. And I'm just thinking back over my episodes, I'm going to do one because I'm trained in subpersonalities from a psychosynthesis perspective. Are you trained in internal family systems or parts or that's just part of your music therapy training anyway? It's, I've not done the official IFS um, training. I've done a lot of reading and a lot of supervision around it. It's certainly on my list, but it's just something that so naturally fits in with the vocal psychotherapy work and with a lot of other ways of working. I know people love IFS. I, I personally find it a little bit fussy, but um, and I think a lot of us, you know, there's ego, it just just so people listen because this is mostly aimed at um people suffering. When we talk about parts work, we're talking about we can work internally with parts, externally. We're talking about the different parts of who we are, the different roles we play. We could be talking about the different parts of the body. We could be talking about the different emotions that we have. Maya's just been talking about working with anger in parts and. I think if you watch Inside Out the movie, yes. it will give you a quite a good explanation in a very easy way around uh, what it is that we're talking about. That's a great movie. Yeah, so good, it, yeah. especially when you're talking about anger. Mm-hmm, <laughs> he he totally. could certainly do with some music therapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, and you've already started to bring this in around what it looks like in a session, but I guess for people, um, I mean, I remember when I first went to therapy, I had no idea what went on in therapy. And I mean, we're a little bit more more therapy savvy these days because there's been so many movies and I mean I started therapy back in 97 so there wasn't a lot on TV Mm. back then but um, Mm -hmm. if I was a fly on the wall and someone was sitting there coming for their music therapy session so they've come either for the first time or maybe they've been seeing you for a little while what would I see how does it start and I know you've started to bring little bits and bobs in already but yeah Yeah. just help people understand so that it's not as a I guess threatening for them I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. An important distinction is that the first session and and often like the first session through maybe like the seventh or eighth in my experience Mm -hmm. will look very different than if I've been working with someone for a while. And I do tend to do mostly long-term work. So I have clients who've been with me for years first couple sessions is really just the getting the lay of the land. I always speak to people on the phone beforehand to get a sense of, am I the right therapist? Potentially,
especially for them, so that just feels like as good of a fit as possible when we're starting. First session, the music is, it doesn't take up as much time and space unless someone is really like ready to go with that. Mm -hmm. I might ask people to like share a piece of music that's meaningful to them in some way. We listen to it together. Or do they want to hear a sound of a particular instrument? If I was sitting in my office with clients, you know, pre-COVID, that's that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, We might grab instruments together and just play for a moment or two. And so that's, we're getting the lay of the land, establishing a sense of safety, and and that's so super important. And so mm-hmm. early sessions will look very different than later sessions. So I just wanted to make that distinction. Yeah. The way that I work is pretty open. So I will, I often tell clients, like, I'll hold the thread from last week. I'll invite them to hold it onto it in some way for themselves, whether it's writing it down or I tend not to do a lot of like homework and also I hate calling it homework, (laughs) but you know, I might invite them to like find a piece of music in the, the week in between sessions. And so a lot of, since I've been virtual, a lot of my clients have enjoyed and really benefited from having a ritual that starts us. Otherwise we just kind of like jump in and we're off and running, Mm. um, usually in words. And so just again, to like come back into the body. So oftentimes we'll start with like either listening to a piece of music together, either being still or moving. And I do that with them if they want me to, or doing a couple of breaths together or doing a little bit of humming just as a way to like come back before um, we just get into the nitty gritty of anything that happened during the week or anything they noticed or anything like that. Then I usually, there's a little bit of space for if something big happened in the previous session, I will ask, was there anything you noticed? You know, anything mm-hmm. that you were aware of? Um, how was it with you? Not with you, et cetera. And then if they have something in mind that they wanted to work on, we'll pivot and look at that. If they don't, then I'll usually just offer up a couple of threads from the previous weeks. So that can look like more talking or less talking, depending on the day. I don't have like a preset idea of how much music is in a session. So there are some sessions where we're not doing really a lot of music and it's totally fine. Because I'm a psychotherapist, I'm totally comfortable being in in words with my clients. Yeah. Always with this awareness of breath, I pay attention to how they're talking, how they're moving, like all of those pieces. And so I'll invite some pausing and some mindfulness and all of that, even if we're quote unquote, just talking, which is really never just talking. But (laughs) if we're wanting to explore something a little more in depth, um, I might introduce like a music and imagery experience, which is using recorded music and imagery. We might pause and find some creative ways to represent, let's say there's some sort of, I'm just spitballing, but let's say there's some sort of family conflict going on, find some creative way to represent it so that it's not just the same story being retold in words, but um, finding colors, finding shapes, what happens if we take the the friction of that situation with your parents and I play it, what is it like for you to hear it rather than to talk about it? Can you wow. play it? Can you find a, a sound? And especially being virtual, most of my clients don't have instruments. So it does invite them to use their bodies a little more or to get really creative with what's around them. Yeah. And so, and there's a lot we can do music wise with our bodies, you know, rubbing your hands together is a sound, tapping your knees is a sound, all of mm. that. Um, so it's a pretty client centered improvisatory way of working. I don't really have like a, we must do X, Y, and Z every session. Mm. So sometimes we we go deep into like what feels, you know, sticky and a little gritty, or sometimes we're doing resourcing work of connecting to a calm place inside or to a, a feeling that feels, I hate to say positive, I can't think of the word that I want, but a feeling that feels like brighter and, and more, I guess, energetic and embodied. And we dip in and out kind of like sometimes you're, if you're deep sea diving or scuba diving rather, um, sometimes you're at the top looking and sometimes you just go down a little lower and you come yeah. back up, so in and out. 
something that I've heard you say a couple of times and maybe not even just in words, but that's the energy I'm getting is around, you use the um, term earlier, Jungian, and you've used the words safety, mirroring, holding, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. holding the thread. And what it's taking me to is that early attachment system. And Mm -hmm. actually we, Donald Winnicott wrote about all these terms. So what I'm hearing is a lot of, and it's probably not, you know, like I work in long-term depth psychotherapy as well. So it's not always like this, but I'm hearing a lot of early yeah safety and holding and you holding the thread and sure yeah absolutely so um I think it's so that's so important I mean and and you're right it's just woven into the way that I speak and the way that I work and the way that I show up that but that's really just the primary I think if we don't have that in any kind of therapy a sense of safety a sense of feeling heard and understood and seen then it's really hard maybe impossible to do any sort of meaningful work Absolutely. What we're talking about is the mother and the baby and um, connection and the therapeutic relationship and all those kind of things that provide that sort of um, secure base, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. And you did mention that most of your clients are long-term. I also work mostly long-term. So um, typically, how long do you work with people? It really does depend. I mean, there's, there's a large range. I'd say on if I had to do quick math in my head and find an average probably mm. somewhere in the neighborhood of like between a year to two years. And yeah. so that would be yeah. the average. And then, you know, the outer ends are like six months and then, you know, some who have been five plus years, that kind yep. of thing. Yep. So mostly the same as in, in yeah. long-term therapy. Yep. So I know you also run workshops and, and you mm-hmm. run them for non-therapists and therapists. Let's start with non-therapists. If I was to come to a workshop as a, not a therapist, and a therapist. <laughs> what would I experience? <laughs> you talk about that however you want to do. Right, okay. <laughs> and I'll edit so, this bit out. <laughs> so the way that I started doing workshops was um, in 2018, I started offering workshops for helpers and healers, I was calling it. Oh, um, and okay. so it, it attracted mostly therapists and other helpers, so like acupuncturists, teachers, doulas, the bulk of it. And I made it really broad. And so it was like a couple of people who just weren't, professionally were not helpers and healers, but played that role like in their family systems, you know, moms, caregivers, that kind of thing. So the Reclaim Your Rhythm workshops, which are up on my website still, I haven't done in a couple of years, were a process of noticing and learning about your current rhythm. So internal rhythms, external rhythms, and wanting something different, right? Everyone came because they wanted something different, feeling the sense of like feeling overworked or really tapped out. And so those were in-person workshops back in the day when that was a thing mm. and will hopefully be a thing again at some point soon. So yeah, those were like two to three hour kind of deep dives in my office with a small group as a way to just go through this process of reclaiming, right? And so reclaiming can be a bold taking of like, this is what I want back and I'm going to take it with this like big hand gesture. And then mm-hmm. also like a gentle tending of I'm going to take care of myself in a way that I haven't. So there was a lot of different experiences in those two to three hours, some improvising with like drums and instruments all together, some music and imagery of just connecting to their inner worlds and finding resources or refinding resources that they'd forgotten about, some journaling. So lots of different sort of experiences. The workshops that I'm doing lately are all online and it's a little more narrow in that I'm focusing them just on professional helpers and healers. Uh-huh. Honestly, that was the bulk of who I was attracting beforehand anyway, uh-huh. um, which is really interesting. 
And so again, it's drawing mostly a lot of therapists, but also again, like acupuncturists, teachers, grad students in the field, which I think is great, which I think we need more of. And so those have been shorter one hour um, music and imagery workshops. And so with a restorative focus, so music and imagery, which I trained in, um, in 2018 and 2019, the restorative focus one is about finding or identifying a resource, an internal resource or feeling that you want to feel more connected with. So that might be grounding, might be calm, might be lightness. It could be any number of things. And then finding a piece of music that in some way connects you more to that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then as the music plays, recorded music, as the music plays, you create an image on a piece of paper. And so it's a way to really deepen and be with that feeling. And the music is chosen really intentionally, right? So music that has certain, um, it's usually very holding, right? Doesn't mm. change or develop too much. So you wouldn't like, generally speaking, wouldn't do like Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know, like is like nine minutes long and changes keys like 16 times, <laughs> but usually like shorter pieces of music that just feel really holding, but have some of that brightness or, or joy or whatever it is. So that's a technique that I use a lot with individual clients and it's worked really well online, mm-hmm. which is lovely. And so how I've done that with in the workshops is when people sign up, I ask them to in this form to submit a couple of words of like, what is a feeling you'd like to feel more connected with? a resource. And there's usually a ton of commonalities between helpers and healers. Like I'll usually get like a whole row of like calmness, 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 you know, grounding, Mm -hmm. grounding, grounding. And then I choose the music. So when I'm with clients, we go through uh, a process of, I offer snippets of different pieces and we really just slow that down of like, what is it about this music that connects you to calmness? Do you want more? And if it's not quite, they, they could say, oh, I really want more string instruments or it was too fast or, right? So being really specific mm-hmm. and really valuing these resources, these positive feelings. So really the primary difference is when I do it with, in the workshops, like I said, I choose the music because one of the recent ones I had 18 people on. And so if, oh, yeah. if I tried to find a commonality, we would have been there all day. Yeah. And so I've been doing this this kind of work for a while and I have a pool of music that I pull from. And so really we ended up with like a pool of feelings that were calmer and more introspective and then a pool of feelings that were more kind of grounding and like resilience based if I had to give two umbrella terms. And so I sat and went through my music and chose two pieces of music, one for each. Mm. And then you do an induction and and a walking through and it was really powerful. I've done this a few times since um since last fall mm. and is really powerful for everyone. It, everyone's mostly muted. Like we do short intros and that's pretty much it. So I invite them if it's comfortable to like be camera on, but to be muted mm-hmm. and just to see people have told me afterward, just to like see everyone creating with them has been so, so powerful in a time when a lot of us have been, you know, really isolated and and a lot of people working from home, still working from home. And so just to have that community energy of we're all hearing the same piece of music in the same time and being impacted by it and taking it in has been really exciting. That sounds amazing. And I think that's actually how I found you to then want to interview you. I think so, yeah. I'd come across Mm -hmm. your website and I think I'd seen your workshop that you're talking about, but when I Mm -hmm. looked at it, it was like 3 or 4 a.m. my time. Right, Right, yes. And I want to do that. I want to do that. And I'm totally still going to do that. But I think I had clients the next day Mm. and... um, I thought, oh, I better not do that the night before. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. 
But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Mm. So um, helpers and healers, if you're out there listening, definitely uh, get on there and have a look at that because um, I remember just being so drawn to it at the time and um, we actually liaised about it, didn't we? I said, oh, it's a bit too early for me. Right, I remember, yeah, yeah. One thing that just came up then as you were talking, so you maybe we'll talk about what you're sort of listening to and also how do you sort your, do you sort your music into feelings or in terms of when, you know, your own sort of database of music, how do you sort mm-hmm. that? Is it by feeling or? That's a great question. I'm <laughs> giggling a little because my ongoing project that I never seem to get to is to organize my Spotify playlist a little bit more Yeah. Um, because I just have you know, these like long playlists that really could be subdivided a little more. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, I don't generally categorize them by feelings because how I experience them is probably not how um, yeah, my clients okay. will experience them. Mm-hmm. And so I have playlists of music that are like more holding. There's a couple playlists I have of music that are more holding for the restorative music and imagery. Mm. And then a couple playlists of music that have a little more like tension or friction in them, mm-hmm. which is for re-educative music and imagery, which is working with like a point of tension. So working yeah. with anxiety, working with anger. And so the music has to match that feeling so we could stay with it. Sure. And then I just have a couple of big playlists of like instrumentals and songs. So it mm-hmm. sometimes takes me a minute and my clients, you know, we have a good laugh about it. I'm like, I'm almost there. I know it's in this playlist somewhere. But yeah, it's one of my projects that I've been saying I'll get to for a year. So we'll see. <laughs> you are so, so what are you listening to at the moment? What's your go-to at the moment? That's a great question. Oh, it's such a mix of stuff. But this morning I was listening to Nora Jones. Oh, yeah. A cover, yeah, who I really like. And she put out an album, I guess it was la- it was last year, that she recorded in her living room. So it's all oh, wow. live. And it's a cover, what I was listening to on repeat before, it was a cover of, I think it's called Patience, if memory serves. And it's originally a Guns N' Roses song. And I just really love how she covers it. I love her voice and how she plays. So that's what I was listening to today. Uh, tomorrow, it will likely be a far different answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, even even from uh, different times, from the you know from morning to afternoon to evening. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I try to do what I do with my clients of just checking in with myself of like the what do I need right now. So one morning last week before clients, I was a little bit tired. I was waiting for my caffeine to kick in. I put on a David Broza um, song. David Broza, for those who don't know, is an Israeli and Spanish singer-songwriter who I really love, who I've seen in concert a lot. And I just like blasted it and was like dancing around and like that was the energy I needed. And the Nora Jones is like, you know, a very different kind of energy. But today that's what I needed. And um, so I, yeah, I listen to like a, a pretty wide range of stuff and often just get really great suggestions and ideas from my clients as well. I always invite them to share their music with me. So I learn a lot of really cool music that way too. Yeah, I'll bet. And actually you just said that you put the music on and you moved and um, just coming back to in a therapy session, do you find that people move as well or or dance to the music or are they mostly um, just listening or and obviously they're playing as well, I, I heard you say. It depends. With recorded music, it, it depends. I have some <laughs> some clients who are really comfortable being in their bodies in that way. Some who, you know, so like they'll stand or, you know, because we're working virtually, they'll stand. Sometimes, you know, I'll say you can move out of the frame, like you don't need to stay locked into this box. Yeah. Um, you know, for some people, it's more it's more accessible if they, you know, stay where they are. But I usually try to model like the, oh, it's impacting me. I find it hard to listen 
listen to music and not move myself, mm. even if it's really like subtle, like, you know, just my head is moving or my fingers are tapping. Um, and so I, I usually just by how, by virtue of how I listen, there's a little bit of that just in our shared space anyway. But I always say like, there's no one way to do this. And so whatever, whatever feels good in your body at the moment, right? And so giving the option that that can change from week to week and it can yeah. change within the course of one song. Yeah, absolutely. I bet there's people out there listening now thinking, I want music therapy <laughs> because I'm sitting here thinking, I want music therapy. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously one of the problems with um, the US is that you can only work with people in your state. Is that true for music therapy as well? Music therapy, yeah. Because I'm a licensed psychotherapist, I only work with people in New York. But yeah. if people hold an MTBC and they're in a state where it's not licensed they can work across state borders it's a little it's a little confusing in the united states mm. it's really there's so many states and each state has a different the licensing laws are just not universal but there are music therapists all over the world yeah and so i can just say a couple of quick resources if that would be helpful yeah sure. absolutely so in the united states um the american music therapy association is a good resource and i believe that's musictherapy.org and Outside the United States, I'm trying to remember the website, but I think it's the World Federation of Music Therapy, WFMT, which last time I was on it had links to the music therapy associations in a bunch of different countries. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah. Great. Um, and I can't remember the exact website, but I will give it to you and you can put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'll do a little yeah. bit of research too yeah. here for, in Australia, but um, yes. I'd say that world website would be a great resource. So Yes, definitely. So for women listening in New York, how do they get in touch? Oh, and actually for therapists, I mean, any therapists from all around the globe could do your online workshops though and yes, helpers and yes. healers. So mm -hmm. if there's any helpers and healers out there, how do we find you? Yes, my website is the best way to find me and that's just my name. So it's www.mayabenatar.com. And I'll obviously link to that in the show notes and I'll also yes. link to your workshops as well. Thank so, oh, look, thank you so much for coming today. Um, thank you. you know, My I'm, I'm sort of, I feel like hanging up and going and finding some, <laughs> some music to listen to. Yes, so, I love it. <laughs> It's only 7 a.m. though, and everyone's. Well, uh, we, we, we well that's why headphones were invented, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, my history is actually in the 90s. I was part of the London rave scene, so um, okay. I don't Ooh. have to go very far to to get sort of um, excited by music. So, nice. yeah, thank you so much for coming, and um, yeah, I think this is going to be really useful for the women listening. Thanks, Jody. It was great to chat. Yeah, you too. For the show notes, go to thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions 44 music therapy. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.